This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. These all died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, but it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by foods, since those involved in them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle do not have a right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Amen. Uh, two scripture passages for the price of one today. Um, and Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 13, very different context. Hebrews 11, of course, that passage comes halfway through the chapter on the heroes of faith. In fact, it stops, uh, it, it's kind of inserted because the heroes of faith is a chronological list and it stops or inserts itself, that little passage there, at the point between those that uh, who were before and after the time of Moses, those that had inherited the, um, uh, the, the later ones had come into the land, but it stops and, and talks about the ones who never uh, inherited the promised land and it puts in there and it inserts this uh, this passage there about those who were who were um, they they weren't uh, kind of held by uh, the land that they'd come from, but they were looking forward to the land that God was going to give them. And then in chapter thirteen, it's actually talking about us. It's speaking about the church and into our present day. And for both of them, it's this it's this idea that that they are people who live looking for a city. And the passage, the second passage we read, began with the phrase. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And whilst God is the God of the new thing, there's also some things that never change. And it's talking there about Abraham. Abraham lived um, maybe 4000 years ago. And uh, you and I, I trust, we're alive today. 
And yet there's still something that hasn't changed between Abraham's time and our time. There is still this sense that we are looking for a city. We do not feel, we do not believe, and we do not act as if we are at home in this present world and in this present age, because we know that what God has for us is something that is eternal. I've been reading uh, lately in a, a translation of the Bible called the Montgomery Translation. It's the first translation Uh, It was made in the 1920s, the first Bible translation done by a woman. And um, uh, in in that, uh, that's kind of its kind of historical claim, but um, it's a a great translation. And um, in that, she talks about um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not allow yourself to be swept away by various and strange teachings. And I like that image of swept away because, of course, we're supposed to be standing on a rock. And when you stand on the rock, you should be... um, um, protected from being swept away, and we are, but we can allow ourselves to become sidetracked, to become even knocked over by going after things that are strange or just novel for the sake of it, the something new. Um, in short, weird stuff. And there's been a lot of weird stuff over the last year, hasn't there? In the light of the pandemic, lots of lots of you know Christians saying some very silly and strange things. Um, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes when you meet someone that that, um, that you're kind of caught in this dilemma that they're talking or you're watching something online and you either go, either they're really spiritual and I'm not, or that's weird. And and we can sometimes think, well, maybe I'm just carnal. Maybe I'm just too natural. I need to be more spiritual. Then I'd understand. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit inside you is the gift of discernment going, that's weird. That's just, uh, that's strange teaching. That's just something... Um, that someone has thought up out of their imagination. Don't be swept away by it. And, you know, there is an abiding um, calling and vision. We we talked last week about, you know, returning to the heavenly vision, going back and looking again at what has God revealed of Christ and how do we live our life in the light of that? Just like Paul could say after 30 years, I've lived the whole of that life, the whole of my new life in Christ, pursuing and being faithful to that heavenly vision. There are eternal things that God wants to use to guide us and to direct our lives. And it's the same thing for us as it was for Abraham 4,000 years ago. Can you, be, can you believe that? And the, uh, the, what I put, why I put, this, is, this is the phrase for which I'm using the Montgomery translation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not allow yourselves to be swept away by various and strange teachings. And then it says this, isn't this great? For it is a beautiful thing to be established in the heart by grace. It's a beautiful thing to be established in the heart by grace. So you can either be swept away or you can be established. You can either be flaky or you can be solid. You can either be weird or you can be, well, still strange because it is a passage about being strangers and aliens, but being um, consistent and showing an integrity of continuing in continuing faithfully in what God has been doing for generation after generation after generation. Um, we're, we're holding on to these things in our hearts by the grace of God. There's a, there's a repetition. There's the keeping of long-held traditions. There's, uh, Jeremiah calls it following the ancient paths. Jeremiah 6, 16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So, Whilst God is the God of the new, he's also the God of the eternal. And there are things that have been revealed that he is still outworking out. Abraham was looking for a city. We're still pursuing that same vision.
because we're told here we have no abiding city. There is nothing of this age. We live in this age, but we are people of the age to come. There is nothing of this age that should have any halt on us <clears throat> or provides any real fulfillment to us. Our goal today is the same as when we first started. The goal of the church today is the same as it was on the day of Pentecost. The goal of your life today is the same as it was when you first came to Christ. Just like Paul would say, for 30 years I've been pursuing this same vision. We're called to live this life of integrity and consistency in pursuit of just one thing, the purpose of God pictorially revealed to us here as a city, the heavenly city, the bringing of heaven into the earth. Ultimately, that's what's going to happen. The new age, when the new age comes, when Christ returns, what is in heaven will be on earth. There will be a, a new heavens and a new earth where the heaven and earth is no longer two places, but is one united place. Philippians three twelve says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And isn't that a wonderful thing that we are pressing forward to lay hold of the thing that Christ has reached down to lay hold of us for. And he and we are pulling in the same direction. And it's the same vision. It's the same goal and the same purpose he puts before us that even Abraham saw all those generations ago. That's why in this age we have no abiding city. There's nothing of this age that will last Everything in this age will pass away and you and I are of the new creation. We're eternal people. And therefore, why do we why would we give ourselves to building things that will pass away when we won't pass away? But rather we give ourselves to building and to bringing forth the eternal. And I think one of the things that God is teaching his church through the pandemic is to resist the temptation to build things that are purely earth bound, things that are about um, a, a, an earthly legacy or reputation or sense of a worldly sense of success and to ensure that what we're doing is really building things that are eternal. There was a great song back in the, in the 1980s written by uh, Mark Altrogi and he's still around today, still writing songs and uh, I think he's pastoring somewhere in the States uh, but he wrote some fantastic songs um, particularly back in the 80s and one of them was I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. And there was a line in that song that says, I want to give my life to something that will last forever. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. And you know, that is God's intention of it for, for each and everyone. Um, and rather than leaving some kind of earthly legacy or earthly success, we are called to, in the present age, to build the eternal heavenly city of God. Revelation 21 verse 2, by the way, tells us that the bride is the heavenly Jerusalem. So here's the thing. The metaphors that God gives in scripture often kind of layer and, and join together. And so the pursuit of, of seeing the church come to maturity, of seeing the bride make herself ready, is the same as pursuing uh, the heavenly city. Because they, the, the, the bride and the city speak of the same thing. They speak of the, 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 the full, perfected, mature expression of God's people. And that's what we give ourselves for. That's the city that we see. And that's exactly what Abraham and the heroes of faith were looking for. And we're seeking, and here's another reason I'm using the Montgomery translation, is because it puts it this way. Um, uh, 
uh, in the Hebrews 11 passage, it says they all died in faith, having not received the promises, but they saw them from afar and they hailed them or they greeted them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the world. For those who say such things make it plain that they are seeking a fatherland. Now, we, we kind of avoid the phrase fatherland because of the kind of World War II Nazi connotations of the use of that word. The word in the Hebrew there is is patria and um, commonly used for country. But in that is this is this is father. OK, uh, Pat, Patros father. Um, it's it's a land defined by the father of the land. It's a land defined by God himself. Abraham was looking not for a natural land, not for a natural city, but for the land that was defined by the qualities of the father. That's the city like Abraham that we are um, pursuing. And in his pursuit of this homeland or fatherland or country, it says God is prepared, was preparing for him a city. And so you've then got this idea of, of a land or a place to live is another image that matches up with this idea of the city, um, a place where the land of promise, not just in, a, in its historical sense, but all of the promises that God has for us in Christ. Um, and by sticking the, this kind of the, the, back, the bit we read halfway through this, the narrative of the Old Testament heroes, I think what the writer to the Hebrews is doing is he's deliberately putting us in mind of how God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by bringing um, Israel out of Egypt and into uh, the promised land. And he's showing us that that was, that was the historical fulfillment of God's promise. And there's a principle with God, isn't there? First the natural, then the spiritual. First the historical, and then the, if you like, the eschatological or the kingdom. So what happens in the history of Israel is also then what is going to take place in the coming of the kingdom to the church and in the church age. Um, and so it's looking forward from Abraham. If you can imagine Abraham, he lived um, in a tent all his life um, because he'd seen a city. What he, The vision he had seen was so beautiful, was so all-consuming, was so clearly of a different quality that he lived in a tent the whole of his life. And he lived a long life. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a dream that God helped me fulfill and uh, we've often taken camping holidays as a family, but um, many years ago, it is many years ago, because I'm 51 now, and many years ago, I, in, when I was in my 30s, I, I had a dream, which is, I love going on camping holidays, but I don't want to sleep on the floor once I'm 40. And when I was, um, when I was 39, I inherited um, uh, some money from my grandmother. And one of the things we did with that money is we bought a trailer tent, had these most amazing beds that sit up off the floor with proper mattresses and everything. And this was, just, this was a dream of mine that I don't want to sleep on the floor once I'm 40. I mean, not, not when I'm on holiday anyway. I'm supposed to be enjoying myself. And God fulfilled that dream. And, and I look at this now and think, man, what a, what a vision that Abraham must have been captivated by that into his hundreds. And didn't he live? I think Abraham lived to be like 160 or something. I'm not sure. I'll have to go and check that. But, you know, even into his old age, um, he lived in a tent uh, because he, he had seen the city that he'd seen, the vision he'd seen of God's purpose in the earth 
was such that he couldn't bring himself to live in another city. And, you know, it's not that the cities around there were not great. We know of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was another city alongside them called Zor. They're described in the Bible as being like the Garden of Eden. No wonder Lot wanted to go and live there. You know, though, though, though it was a great, um, it was a, there was a great uh, draw and attraction to them. Beautiful places, well provided for, abundant, comfortable life. And Abraham's like, I can't go and live in a city because I've seen something that means I'm going to sleep on the floor until I'm into my hundreds. Not like me, he didn't have the capacity, of, he, you know, didn't have the, he had much more staying power than me. I was like, I'm not sleeping on the floor after I'm in my 40s. Abraham's like, the whole of my life because I've seen something and I cannot settle for anything less. And I believe that's the attitude Cobb wants us to have, that we're pursuing what he has shown us, what we have seen, whether we call it the heavenly city, whether we call it the the bride who has made herself ready, whether we call it the heavenly vision of Jesus, that what we see, what God has shown us of his intention and his purpose means that we cannot compromise. We cannot settle even for the best stuff of this world. Because, of course, the good stuff of this world is quite deceptive. You know, we know the story of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, that, that the attractiveness of this world is a deceptive attractiveness. So, so we'd be foolish to be fooled by it anyway. But, but, but actually being drawn on by this vision of God is, is what God has caused us to live by. And the fact that this is what the heroes of faith, our examples in the faith, were doing thousands of years ago. And yet the writer to the Hebrews, he says, look, makes the comparison. God was preparing for them a city. God is preparing for us a city. There is something that, that has captivated our vision and directs our lives. And so I want us just to look at, at three lessons we can learn in here that help us continue to live pursuing the heavenly vision, pursuing the city, looking for the city um, that keep us wanting to go after seeing the bride make herself ready. Okay, so just three simple things. The first one is this. Uh, practice saying what you see. I, it's great. I've got the comments on today. So thank you, Mr. Sheffield, who's just clarified for me. Abraham lived to be 175, so I was even underestimating. Um, <laughs> okay, say what you see. So um, in, the, in the scripture we read there, or that John read for us, it said... They all died in faith, having not yet received the promises, but they saw them from afar and they greeted them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. And those who say such things make it plain that they've seen um, a homeland or they've seen a fatherland. So what, what, there's a, there's, we know that there's a strong principle, isn't there, of confession of the word. But here's what the scripture is saying, that when these heroes spoke in this way, when they, when they, when they lived this kind of lifestyle, they, they, they greeted what they could, they greeted the vision. And uh, this word here literally means to greet. The, uh, this is the, the only time it's kind of used in a sense metaphorically in the New Testament. Every other time it's people saying, either in the letter saying, greet this one and greet that one. You know, when you see someone and you, you know, if I'm out and I meet with someone, they often say to me, give my love to Ruth. Um, you know, they're saying, greet Ruth, remember me to them. That's nearly always how this, this word is used in the New Testament. And... Um, you know, it's saying they greeted this. You know, how much do we look forward? We, we um, in our time of communion this morning, Hannah 
led us really beautifully and talked about remembering. And that's one of the powerful things about communion. But there's another tension. There's a tension in that because there's another dimension, which is we remember until he comes. And so there's a looking back and there's a looking forward. And, you know, the people that live this way who have seen this are people that talk about what God is going to do. They talk about um, the return of Jesus. They talk about how God, what God is going to do in bringing his church to fullness. They talk about how the gospel is going to be um, effective. They speak about those things and they also confess that they're strangers and pilgrims in this world. Um, so they say confess means to agree with or to say the same thing. So it's so actually saying I'm a stranger, I'm a foreigner, I'm a pilgrim, I don't belong here. It's kind of I better stop there before I break into a Radiohead song. Um, I don't think I'm a creep. Uh, but, um, you know, what do you say about yourself? How do you describe your place in this world? Um, how do you think about your place in this world? How do you view the world around you? What do you say about who you are? We are strangers and aliens. In um, in old translations of the Bible, it uses this word peculiar, not quite spelt the same as we spell it today. And it doesn't mean strange in that sense. It doesn't mean um, creep or weirdo. It means unique and distinct. We are a unique and distinct people. We are different. Uh, we do, in, in a very uh, real way, we don't belong here. We belong somewhere else. We're so grateful that we're here. We're so grateful for this world. This world is a wonderful, beautiful place that God wants to transform with his presence. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we live in this world as citizens of another world. We live as pilgrims. Um, and it's really important that we train ourselves in our confession, that we don't conform to this world in any, in any way. You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I remember back in the uh, autumn of 2020 when it was the American election campaign, an American friend posted on Facebook um, saying that she felt politically homeless uh, because of the kind of the, the polarization of the different parties there. Um, and my response to that was, well, maybe that's how all Christians ought to feel. Um, I don't feel, you know, I find it hard to feel allegiance to a political party. I believe it's important to vote and I believe it's important to add my support to things that I think are most in line with the heart of God and his purpose uh, in the earth. But I don't feel an allegiance to a political party. And I think I think I would find it quite strange if I did, because I have an allegiance to the kingdom of God. I, I think I'm supposed to feel politically homeless. Um, you know, and that's the kind of thing I mean, you know, what, you know, how do we talk about ourselves? Do we conform? Do we, uh, do we say, you know, this is, oh, I align myself with this. I align myself with that. Or do we say, no, I stand with Jesus. And I know that that is going to make me stand out. I know that's going to put me at odds with the things of this world. I'm not going to buy into those things. I'm not going to buy into that narrative. I'll listen to it. I'll, tr I'll seek to understand it. But there's a different story. There's a different vision of the future that is guiding my life and shaping the way I think and act and speak. Our language is important because it, first of all, it exposes our hearts. You know, sometimes have you ever said something and you thought, oh, I didn't know I believed that or, or you've surprised yourself. Um, but to speak is important because then we can correct discussion with 
with with trusted brothers and, and sisters um, allows us to, uh, to to bring out the things that are in our heart and, if necessary, to hear some correction to them or some adjustment to them. We disciple one another in that way. But speaking is also important because when we speak, if it is a confession that is aligned with the spirit, it begins to frame our thinking and our understanding. You create the world you live in by the words that you speak. Now, that's a spiritual law that is true whether you're a believer or not. We all create the world we live in by the, world, by the words that we speak. But when the words we speak are the words that are aligned with the spirit of God and aligned with the eternal word of God, we find we begin to shape and create a world that is this patria, this fatherland, this homeland. The next thing is this, idea, this, this very idea that we are seeking a homeland. We are pursuing a way of life to live as if we lived already in the land of promise, in the new age. Um, Romans 12, 2 says uh, in the J.B. Phillips translation, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. This world wants to squeeze you into its mold. But what's the antidote or what's the way we avoid that? It's worship. Look, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because he is of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In the land of our father, or if you're Welsh, the land of our fathers, okay, um, just say all my Welsh friends, man, that was so disappointing in the rugby yesterday, wasn't it? But God is good. He really is. God is good, even when Wales lose. But I was gutted. Um, but the land of the father is defined by the character of the father. It has its own language. It has its own way. And I'm not just speaking about tongues, although that's a, a powerful means that God has for shaping our thought life. But it has its own language and vocabulary, the way we speak, the way we speak about one another. Who do we, you know, um, the Bible is very deliberate in the terms it uses when it calls us things like brothers and sisters, saints, believers, um, friends. You know, that the, these reinforce an understanding of how we relate to one another. The customs, you know, we do things that are customary. Um, we're going to talk about one of them in just a minute. When we come around the Lord's table, it's a good, it's a discipling thing. It shapes us. Uh, the law, we don't live by um, by a written law. We live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has been written on our hearts by God. And an ethos and a way of doing things. And um, I was talking about uh, this week to a group of students about, uh, touched on the idea of trying to cultivate a kingdom ethos. And I said, it always, it always impresses me that when God planted a garden in Eden, it says that he planted trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And the, 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 the ones that were there for purely aesthetic reasons were mentioned first. Isn't that interesting? And I think that says something about the quality of the kingdom of God. It's not just about meeting needs. It's actually about the, it's an expression of beauty and of, of well-being and that, that aesthetic is important. Um, you know, God, when he designs life, he designs it to begin with rest and then go to work. You know, there are, there are, there's an ethos to the kingdom. There's an ethos to the patria, to the fatherland to the homeland. And we need to actively cultivate these kingdom qualities in our hearts, in our lifestyles, in our families, in our homes, and of course, 
in our churches so that our communities speak of this different land. They're already laying a hold of it and bringing it in to the present age, a taste of the age to come and a testimony um, to the age to come that others can see and go, there's something different in that. You know, like it said in Acts that everyone held the church in high esteem, but they were afraid to join them. But the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Isn't that interesting? Everyone thought really highly of the church, but there was also a fear because it was so clear that the the community they'd built, the ethos that they'd established among them was was, um, full of, it, it was awesome. The fear of God was in it. It was a scary thing to think, can I step over and join that? Because it's going to mean leaving so much behind. I want that, but do I want to leave behind? And they were afraid to join them. But then he says, but the Lord added to their number. But people made that step, but they realized, if I'm going to join the church, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, there's, it's a big, there's a big price to pay. There's a lot to leave behind, but it's so attractive that I can't resist that urge. The, the irresistible, drawing, loving grace of God. The final one I want to say is uh, we read in chapter 13 and in chapter Hebrews 13, 10, it says we have an altar from which the priests of the tabernacle have no right to eat. Keep eating from the altar. That's my third thing. My first my first thing is say what you see. Have a good confession. Seek a homeland. Seek to bring the qualities of the kingdom into our present reality. And the third one is this. Keep eating from the altar. Of course, very simply put, the, the analogy here is is to come around the table of the Lord. And when we eat from the table of the Lord, and one of the things I've loved uh, that we've done in this lockdown is that we've gathered around the table every Sunday. And if you've not been there, if you've missed them, if you've not been for a while, you need to be there. It's such a beautiful, wonderful time. Yeah, I know it's awkward on Zoom, but it's great. If you're watching with us um, and you're not part of the church, but you'd like to come along, drop us a message. If you if you, if you you sign up for our um, uh, weekly bulletin, the link goes in there. We'd love to have you come along and, and join us. Um, Eugene Peterson describes uh, discipleship. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. You know, I think the table is quite a good example of this because we can sometimes think, you know, I just come there every week and I drink a little bit of wine and I eat a little bit of bread and, and someone prays and I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. I don't feel like anything's changing. You know, discipleship and the table disciples us. Discipleship is about continuing steadfastly in faithful obedience. And um, I'm not a great gym bunny, as you can probably tell. But from those who engage in that, my boys at the moment are in varying degrees of kind of doing weights and all this kind of stuff. And oh, I've just kind of cost myself another pound fifty, fifty p each for the preacher's tax. Anyway, um, the thing is, you don't get instant results. What you get, you, you get results from long-term consistency. And it's true of any worthwhile change. And it's certainly true of discipleship. And I believe it's one of the things that's true about the Lord's table. I do believe that there is a spiritual dimension and there is a spiritual uh, exchange happening when we eat the bread and the wine the holy spirit really is doing something in that we have many testimonies of people being healed or um or god breaking in in other ways when when taking the bread and the wine but but it's not just for those moments when those kind of suddenlies happen it's about that i come around the table i'm here because i'm saying despite everything else i'm here to acknowledge 
that Jesus is my source, that I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what you're saying when you take that bread. You're saying, Lord, it's your word that shapes me. Lord, it's your broken body that heals me, that, that, that brings me into a union with the Father. It's a, it's a restatement of that faith. Every time we take the cup, it's saying, I believe the promises that you made, that the new covenant that you instigated when you shed your blood, it's good for me today. It's good for me tomorrow. It's good for me next Sunday. It's good for me every time I come. It's, it's, this, it's the, 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 the table of the Lord, the bread and the wine is the nourishment of the new creation. Um, and if you've ever, like I say, if you've ever thought, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting anything from this. I just want to remind you that your feelings are not a reliable witness, but the table is a reliable witness. And so just like the kitchen table is the center of many people's homes, the Lord's table is the center of the life of the household of God. Right. I'm finishing there, but I just want to remind you three, three things that we three disciplines that we can give ourselves to that are going to help us live pursuing a heavenly vision, help us live pursuing the city of God, pursuing the perfection of the bride. First of all, speak like a stranger, not speak like a pirate. That, that, that day is not today. Speak like a stranger, cultivate the life of the fatherland. And third, keep eating from the altar. And we will shape our lives so that we are those who pursue this heavenly vision. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.